Hey guys, I'm Pastor Jason Shirley. I'm the associate pastor right here at Word of Life Church in Carlsbad, New Mexico. And I'm really excited that you have joined us today online. Just a couple of things. I want you to drop us a line if you're watching wherever in the world and let us know where you're watching from. We would love to hear from you. Second, if you want to partner with us today in a financial way, then you can give by texting 84321 and just text your amount, or you can go to our website, wolcarlsbad.com, and you can click the Give tab and give that way. The last thing today is that if you have any needs or anything like that that we can partner with you on, then drop us a line and send us that, and we're going to partner with you in prayer. I believe today is going to be a wonderful day. I want you to open up your heart to receive from the Word of God today and always remember that God is madly in love with you. Let's get to the service. We're going to begin to look today at um, the title of my message is, is Redeemer. And uh, uh, you know Jesus came into the world as a redeemer. And sometimes we hear that word redeemer or redemption and we don't know what, uh, um, we don't really understand what that means. Um, but, uh, you know, many years ago, some of you remember, some of you are old enough to remember when uh, you'd go to the grocery store and you would, uh, you would buy your groceries and they would give you stamps. And, uh, the, the two types that I specifically remember from when I was a kid, there were gold bond stamps, and then there were S&H green stamps. And uh, my mama did a whole lot of Christmas shopping with stamps. And uh, right across the street over here, uh, there was a S&H green stamps redemption store. And so, you know, they used that word redemption, a, a, um, where you collected these stamps and you stuck them in a book, and then uh, there was a catalog, and you looked at the catalog, we wore the pages out on the S&H Green Stamps catalog as kids, picking out the stuff that we wanted, and it would tell you how many pages of stamps you had to have in order to get such and such item, and you would take in your stamp book, and you would spend that like money. And uh, so anyway, um, what you were doing was you were taking and you were redeeming an item with your stamps. And so um, we see that word in the scriptures a lot of times we see redemption, redeem, redeemed, redeemer, uh, you know, the, these various forms of, of the word redeem. And, um, you know, I want us to begin to understand what that means because Jesus came into this world to redeem us. Now, why did you need to be redeemed? We're going to talk about all that this morning. But in Leviticus, the 25th chapter and I want to encourage you to read that 25th chapter of Leviticus. You say, well, I don't read Leviticus. Well, maybe you should start. Um, because the 25th chapter of Leviticus gives us the law of uh, 
of Jubilee. And in this law of Jubilee, there in the 25th chapter of Leviticus, he, he also talks about um, that um, not only Jubilee and what that means, but he also puts in there some things about uh, a redeemer and what a redeemer would do and what, what were... What, what was his capacity? What was he, what was a redeemer for? Who qualified to be a redeemer? Uh, and this kind of thing. So I'm going to give you a, a overview of the 25th chapter of Leviticus. And I want to encourage you to read this on your own. Maybe you read it and you didn't understand anything about it. Well, hopefully after I get through today, the plan is that you will understand what it's talking about. Jubilee was a law under the Old Covenant that um, it, it uh, um, sometimes a person, for one reason or another, maybe they uh, fell upon hard times and, or, or uh, uh, some things went, went wrong, went very badly for them, and they ended up having to sell possessions, sell property, or even to the point of selling themselves or their children as slaves. And uh, so the, the law was this, that you could not sell uh, your property or your, uh, or your children or yourself permanently. There was a law of jubilee there, and, and according to Leviticus, the 25th chapter, you were to count off seven weeks of years, or seven times seven, which would be 49, and then the next year following, the 50th year, would be the jubilee year. And what happened in the jubilee year? And how this affected everything was that if you had sold a piece of property sometime in the last 49 years, uh, you would be able to, um, at, the, at the Jubilee year, all of the property that had been sold returned to its original owner. You see, when the children of Israel came into the, um, into the promised land, God gave the tribes and the individuals within the tribe, he gave them uh, property that was theirs. And he said, you can't sell it permanently. On the 50th year, it all reverts back to its original owner. And uh, so that affected several things. First of all, it affected the sale price. If you were to sell something... It, the price would vary depending on how many years it was until Jubilee. If you're in the 25th year and you sell something, uh, it can only be sold for half the price that it could on, on the first year. It would sell for one price, but on the 25th year, it would only sell for half of that because it was... Uh, it was based upon how many years the person that you sold it to was going to get to use that property. 
And, uh, you know, if you sold yourself as a slave, uh, it was based on, you know, how many years you were going to be serving the person that you sold yourself into slave. So you were not a permanent slave. And so <coughs> in the book of Genesis, or not Genesis, the book of Leviticus, it, it lays out the law for that. Now, let's suppose that on year 10 that um, you have a crop failure and you are not able to uh, produce a crop that year. And so uh, on that 10th year, you find yourself uh, in a financial hardship because you didn't raise a crop. And so you would then... Maybe you would have all you have to sell is is the is yourself. You sell yourself into slavery on that tenth year, and you become a slave. Well, let's say then that year fifteen, that a relative uh, comes along and finds out you have been sold into slavery. And, uh, and this, well, this relative is a wealthy relative and well capable of meeting the price of redemption. If that relative was willing to redeem you, then on the 15th year or whenever it was he found out about it, or what, you know, then he could go to the individual that you sold yourself to as a slave. He could go to them and he could say, look, I am a near relative, I'm the brother of this guy, and I want to redeem him out of slavery. And so, at that time, he would pay the price, whatever that price was, and you would go free. Now, are you seeing a beautiful picture of what Jesus did for us? If you read the, the book of Ruth... Three short chapters. I encourage you also, not only Leviticus 25, but also read the entire book of Ruth. And you see a beautiful picture of Christ there. Now that, that uh, Naomi had uh, uh, and her husband had two sons. Naomi's husband died. And then the two sons who had married wives also died. And uh, Naomi went to return back into her, uh, to the area where her family was located. And uh, so she's, she's going back there and her, uh, her daughter-in-laws, uh, who are also widows, uh, they say, well, we're going to go with you. And Naomi steps up and she says, no, you stay here, you find yourself a husband, and uh, so one of the daughter-in-laws stayed, but the other daughter-in-law, Ruth, went with Naomi. She says, I am not leaving you. I will never leave you, and so she goes with Ruth, and, um, you know, they had uh, encountered this situation where they had to, to sell possessions. And so this, 
the, the story of the book of Ruth is that a man named Boaz, who was a near relative, and when you read the book of Ruth, I want you to see that Boaz is a type of Christ. And Boaz, being a near relative, he says, okay, I want to redeem them. I want to buy them back. And see, uh, here is the thing that, that you and I need to understand is that our father, Adam, sold us into slavery. And we could not redeem ourselves. The, the law provided that if you could redeem yourself, then, then you were welcome to do so. But if you could not redeem yourself, then it depended upon you having a near relative that was willing to redeem you. Well, you see, when our father Adam sold us into slavery, uh, we need to see that we could not redeem ourselves. There was nothing that we could do to help ourselves, so we were permanently in slavery. <coughs> and a near redeemer, a near kinsman redeemer arose. Jesus came into this world as your brother who said, I will purchase, I will redeem you. Praise God. And he went to the cross, and the Redeemer had to pay whatever you owed. And that was the price that he had to pay for your redemption. You see, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. So therefore, in order for anyone to redeem us, they had to pay the price, the penalty of death. Now, no one else qualified to redeem us except Jesus because everyone else was also a slave. He was the only one who was not a slave. <coughs> and we talked about that Jesus came into the world. He had to be born of a virgin. And the reason he had to be born of a virgin was so he would not inherit the debt. And... Uh, so Jesus came into this world. He did not inherit the debt, but he stepped up as the only possible redeemer for you and I. Praise God. Now, aren't, aren't you glad that on the night that Jesus was born, there were, there were shepherds out in the field watching over their flocks that night, living out in the fields, and the angel of the Lord came, and the angel of the Lord, thank you, Pauline. The angel of the Lord said, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. There is born unto you a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Or he could have said, there is born to you a Redeemer, which is Christ the Lord. There is born one that is capable of paying your debt. There is one who is capable of redeeming you out of slavery. Praise God. Aren't you thankful for Jesus? Praise God. Now, 
I want us to begin to look at some things. First Peter chapter one, verse number 18. Notice here what it says. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by traditions from your fathers. You were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. You see, Jesus paid a much higher price if it had been silver or gold, maybe Solomon could have been the redeemer. Solomon sure had a lot of silver and gold. Uh, you know, there was, there was none like him in all the earth. Maybe Solomon could have been the redeemer. But you could not be purchased with silver or gold. Now, why is that? Because your debt was much greater than that, and your value was much greater than the value of silver or gold. So that tells you, first of all, that tells you how God feels about you. That you're worth more than silver or gold. You know, I've had, uh, I, I had a person several years ago who had not been, uh, who had missed church for a while, and I contacted this person and was talking to them and telling them that we missed them. And this person had at one time been uh, <coughs> been a tither and, and a giver and gave quite a bit of money and had found, uh, found themselves in a position where, uh, where he was not able to give what he wanted to give. And so his words to me were, that he felt bad about not being able to give like he used to. And, uh, you know, first of all, that broke my heart because that's never what, uh, you know, that, that's, that's, I mean, we're, we're grateful for people that give. But the thing that I told him, I said, you are worth so much more than what you give. You're worth so much more. You, we can't put a dollar figure on you. We don't even care about that. We just want you. Praise God. And, and so when, when we begin to understand that, that, uh, that, you know, how many remember uh, there was a, a series of commercials that ran on television uh, a while back, and they, they would say, you know, this, this item costs this much, and this item costs this much, but... This is priceless. Anybody remember those, those commercials? This, this is priceless. You see, there are some things that you can put a monetary value on, but there are some things that are priceless. And you are in the priceless category. There was no dollar figure that could be put on you. Praise God. And I want you to know that God sees you as priceless. We see you as priceless, praise God, because he saw you as priceless. And, and 
uh, yes, it's good for you to give. It's good for you to, to, to give tithes and offerings. That's, that's a good thing for you. But you are worth so much more. You, you could never give what you're worth. Praise God. And you need to understand that because, see, we don't think of you in terms of a dollar figure. You're worth so much more. Praise God. You are priceless. And uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, notice what it says right here. The Apostle Paul writing, in him we have redemption through what? In him we have redemption through, somebody go ahead and talk to me. It's okay. All right, let me give you just a moment. Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 17, or 7, excuse me. Chapter 1, verse number 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. Yes, through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. You see, forgiveness... If you are forgiven a debt, then that means the debt is eliminated. Praise God. In him we have redemption through his blood. His blood wiped out your debt that you owed. Praise God. So you don't owe a debt anymore. You have redemption through his blood. <coughs> And then he tells you what that means. The forgiveness of sins or the wiping out of the debt that was because of sin. Colossians chapter 1, he repeats this again. He says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Paul states that he, he says that to the Ephesians. He says it again to the Colossians. And then notice this, Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 12. It says, not with the blood of goats and calves. So see, it wasn't just blood that was required, but it had to be a certain blood. It had to be either your blood or the blood of a qualified substitute. The blood of bulls and goats and calves and, and lambs and all of that, that blood could suffice temporarily. Praise God. And, and uh, the, the sacrifices offered according to the law only provided a temporary covering for sin, but it could never provide the forgiveness of sin could never provide the remission of sin. The Bible tells us it could never take away sin. <clears throat> he says, not with the blood of bulls uh, or goats and calves, not bulls, uh, goats and calves, <coughs> but with his own blood. Why? Because his blood qualified for the, the price of redemption for your sins. His blood. And his blood qualified because his blood was not tainted 
by sin. Praise God. Because he did not receive, he did not inherit sin from Adam because he was born of a virgin. Therefore, Adam's sin was not passed on down to him. Now notice this. He says, but with the blood, with his own blood, he entered the holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Remember I said the blood of bulls and goats and calves and etc. Et was a temporary covering. But notice what it said. It says that he obtained eternal redemption. Praise God. Aren't you glad that the sacrifice that Jesus made was for eternal redemption, not a temporary redemption? Praise God. Now, let's look at this. In Luke chapter 1, verse number 68, it said, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. God visited and redeemed his people. In fact, in one place he is called Emmanuel, which is God with us. He has visited and redeemed his people. He was the qualified near kinsman who qualified as a redeemer of his people. Now, in Galatians chapter 4, verse number 4, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son, into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer, notice this, you are no longer a slave. It's time we get rid of the slave mentality. You are no longer a slave, but a son. Hallelujah. 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 Now, I notice a lot of people will, will uh, or I know a lot of people would probably uh, get upset with you and start saying you're blaspheming and all this kind of stuff. A lot of Christians, if you said, I am a son of God, or there's only one son of God. Jesus is the only begotten son of God. Did you know that Jesus was the only begotten Son of God. He came into this world as the only begotten Son of God. But after the cross, you're, he's not called the only begotten Son of God anymore. If you see where Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, you're looking at something before the cross. You're looking at something between Bethlehem and the cross. But after the cross, he is called the firstborn 
among many brethren. Praise God. Praise God. He is the firstborn among many brethren. After the cross, see, you know, I have people say, well, or I ask people, say, do you know that your Bible has a dividing line in it? And it's not that page that says the New Testament. The dividing line in your Bible is the cross. And you have to determine if what you're looking at was before the cross or after the cross. Praise God. Now, there are some things that are written after the cross, but they're talking about before the cross. So you can't just say, well, this happened or this, this part of the Bible is after the cross. Because sometimes the Apostle Paul talks about the way you were before the cross. And he contrasts that with what you are now after the cross. There are prophecies in the Scripture that were written before Jesus was even born, but they're talking about things that were after the cross. They are prophetic of things to come after the cross. So when you read your Bible, this is why the Apostle Paul told Timothy, he said, be a student of the Word of God. Study to show yourself approved, a worker that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. Dividing it between what was before the cross and what was after the cross. He's not talking about just rightly interpreting, but he's talking about rightly dividing. Dividing is a good word that is used there, rightly dividing the word of truth. Praise God. Because you need to find the dividing line before the cross or after the cross. Praise God. And so here he says, you were a slave, but now you are a son. I love the story of the prodigal son because in the story that Jesus told of the prodigal son, the, the, the son has this in his mind. I'm going to go back to my father's house and I'm going to say to him, you know, I'm no, wor no longer worthy to be called your son just let me be a servant. And the father does not even acknowledge what his son just said. Why is that? Because the father, if you look at the story, the father sees the son coming a great way off. That means he must have been out looking for his son. And when he saw him coming, he went running to him and the son starts in on his speech. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just let me be a servant. And uh, the father doesn't even respond to that. And he begins to say, bring out son's clothing. Bring out the things that belong or pertain to sonship. You see, when the father was out there looking, he wasn't looking for a servant. He was looking for a son. Praise God. And he says when he came back, he he. He says, restore him to sonship. Praise God. He wasn't looking for a servant. And many people, you know, the apostle Paul, you say, well, Paul called himself a servant. What did Paul call him? Be, be careful what you're saying there. Because he said he is a bond servant. That's not the same thing as a slave. 
A bondservant isn't a slave. A bondservant is someone who serves willingly, not out of compulsion. You know, a, a bondservant is someone who chooses to serve. You see, I serve my father because I love my father. I don't serve my father because he compels me to serve him. Praise God. I serve him because I love him. He doesn't compel me to serve. Praise God. The father, is, he doesn't want to be a slave owner. He doesn't want to be, in fact, he doesn't even want to be a paymaster. Do you get this? He doesn't want to be a paymaster. He wants to be a father to you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And, and you see this, your father, a paymaster pays because you do a work, you do a, you, you, you serve and then you receive a paycheck for service rendered. But your father he just gives it to you because you're a son. Praise God. He just gives it to you because you are his child and he wants to give good things to his children. Praise God. Praise God. And he doesn't do it because you have served him well. He does it because you're his son. Praise God. We, we need to understand that. We need to get rid of the slave servant mentality. Well, I'm just serving the Lord. I've been serving the Lord for all these years and serving the, you know. That's great to serve the Lord. I serve the Lord. I want to serve the Lord. But you see, I don't have a servant mentality. And if someday, you know, there, there are days when I don't serve the Lord. And if you're honest, there are days when you don't serve the Lord. There are days when I serve me. Now, that's not the way it ought to be, but that's the way it is some days. And my father still considers me a son, and he still blesses my... Do you realize this? On the days when you don't serve the Lord, do you still eat those days? Why do you get to eat? Because you're a son. Because he loves you. That's why you get to eat. Praise God. You know, I mean, if it's all about, if the Lord only blesses those who serve him, then, then we would have to say that every wealthy unbeliever did it all themselves. But see, I contend that every wealthy believer out there, let me, let me start this whole illustration over again because I just totally messed it up. All right. There are wealthy unbelievers. And if the Lord does not bless unbelievers, then I would have to say, that you actually 
can provide for yourself. You know, every unbeliever out there that is, that is wealthy, I would have to say that, that that all comes because of themselves. But do you realize that the very breath that the unbeliever breathes is from God? So even though they are enemies against God, he still provides breath for them. They, they still eat. So I would have to say every unbeliever, every enemy of God, he still provides food for their table. Praise God. I would have to say every believer or unbeliever out there, every unbeliever, every enemy of God, you know, there are some of them that have tremendous amounts of wealth. So does God still provide for unbelievers? Yes. Because he is a good God. Now, they are not his children in the sense that you and I are. You see, we are children because we have believed upon him and we have been born again, born not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. That's what Scripture says. We are born again, born into his family, but... God provided the breath of life for you. He provided food for your table even when you were his enemy. He demonstrated his love toward you even when you were his enemy in that Christ died for you. I mean, I'm saying this so you understand how good your father is. Praise God. Praise God. You know, as as a parent, if, if, uh, if my kids brought friends home and we were getting ready to eat, the friends of my children ate too. They ate the same food that my children ate. Now, some of them ate an awful lot of food. And I didn't complain about that. They were friends of my children. And so they ate. So, yes, I provided food for, you know, I didn't want to do that every day. Although I did most days. Um, but, you know, that, that wasn't the idea, you know. But, but nonetheless, you see that I provided even for children who were not my children. God provides even for unbelievers, even for those who are not sons. But there is a blessing associated with being a son. Now, if that kid stayed in my house too long, you know, you, you really ought to go home. I think I hear your parents calling. But my kids were home. 
praise God. They were home. And, uh, you know, we, we need to get rid of this slave mentality. And, uh, you know, God never wants to be a paymaster. He wants to be a father. Praise God. And he doesn't want you to see him as owing you something. He wants you to see him as being a father. Praise God. Praise God. There were times when I fed my kids, and they deserved to be fed. There were other times I fed my kids, and they didn't deserve to be fed. I fed them anyway. Praise God. God feeds you when you deserve to be fed, and he feeds you when you don't deserve to be fed. Praise God. There are days I don't deserve breath, but I breathe anyway. Praise God, because my father is a good father. Hallelujah. And we need to, this is why Jesus came preaching he said, you need to repent and believe the gospel. You need to repent. You need to change your mind and believe the good news. The good news is he's father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus came into this world the only begotten son of God, but now he is the first begotten among many brethren, and you're the brethren. Hallelujah. He redeemed you back to the Father. Praise God. Praise God. Now, I love this passage of Scripture because Jesus came preaching this. In Luke chapter 4, verse number 16. Now, he had just returned from 40 days of fasting in the wilderness, and he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and they handed him the book of the prophet Isaiah, and he stood up to read, and he found this place in the writings of Isaiah the prophet. It says it was in verse number uh, 17. It says he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it back to the attendant. And he sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, what was he referring to there? What was Isaiah 61 talking about? Isaiah 61, when he said the acceptable year of the Lord. What year was that? You know, it wasn't 33 B.C. It wasn't 
10 AD, the acceptable year of the Lord was the year that the kinsman redeemer came, and that became the year of Jubilee. Now, you see, when, when a person, we talked about Jubilee, when a person was sold into slavery, if there came a redeemer, they didn't necessarily, see, at the, at the year of Jubilee, they were going to be set free anyway because the law said the slaves would be set free. But it's only year 15. It's only year 20. It's only year 25. It's not time for Jubilee yet. But the Redeemer steps up and says, I want to pay the redemption price and I want the slaves, this relative of mine who is in slavery, I want them to be set free. So essentially, the year that the Redeemer paid the redemption price, that year became jubilee for the person that was being redeemed. Why? Because every, he, he, was, he was set free. That's what would happen at jubilee. And Jesus said, this year, this is the acceptable year of the Lord. This is the year of jubilee for you. Praise God. So when Jesus, the Redeemer, came on the scene and he paid the redemption price, that day your jubilee began. Hallelujah. So right now, you live in the year of jubilee. Now, notice what, here's what the Amplified Bible says about that year of jubilee, that year, that acceptable year of the Lord. The Amplified Bible, classic edition, verse number 19, he says, he came to proclaim the accepted and acceptable year of the Lord, the day when salvation and free favors of God profusely abound. I love that translation. When the free favors of God profusely abound. Hallelujah. You know, right there, that's what you need to remember. Not that you're a slave. You need to remember that the free favors of God, His favor freely upon you, profusely. See, I, I, I love that he used that, that adjective there. Profusely abound. Praise God. Praise God. It is the favor of God is on you today, and it is on you in profuse abundance. Praise God. Praise God. You see, we don't live our lives trying to talk God into doing something. Free favors of God. We don't live our lives. God didn't intend for you to live your life trying to earn something from him. He intended for you to live like a son. Praise God. Knowing that the free favors of God profusely abound towards you. Praise God. This is your year 
and it began when Jesus paid the price, the redemption price. When he went to the cross and he paid the price in full, he paid every debt that was owed. You are free because there is no more debt owed to you. Many Christians live their lives like they owe a debt. Do you get that? Many Christians live their lives like they owe some kind of a debt. He said, you don't owe me anything. You know, Christians talk, say things like this. You know, how could I ever repay Jesus for what he has done? You can't, so quit trying. You get it? You can't pay him. So why try to pay him? You can never pay up. If you're trying to earn, if you're trying to pay a debt, there's no, there is no debt. You don't owe a debt. Oh, but I owe the Lord so much. I owe him my life. No, you don't. He gave his freely. You don't owe. Would you ever open a Christmas present and then say to the person who gave it to you, how much do I owe you? Would you ever do that? How many of you have ever done that? Nobody. You never did that because the person would say, it's a gift, you dummy. It's a gift. You don't owe me anything. God gave you a gift of his son. He gave you the gift of righteousness. He gave you the gift of grace. He gave you the gift of eternal life. He gave you the gift of healing for your body. He gave you the gift of salvation. Don't insult him by saying, I owe you. That's an insult. No, really, how much do I owe you? You dummy, it's a gift. You don't owe me anything. Enjoy it. Praise God. Enjoy your salvation. Enjoy your healing. Enjoy your provision. Enjoy all the favors, the free favors of God that are profusely abundant toward you. Praise God. And, and stop thinking about how can I ever repay? You know, that sounds real religious. But it's also real stupid. Because what he gave you, there is no price that could be put on it. Praise God. No price. And nothing you could ever pay would ever be enough. God knew that. And so he paid it. Praise God. You know, this yesterday I woke up, looked on Facebook, and I saw that Reinhardt Bunky had gone to be with the Lord. And uh, 
you know, Reinhardt Bunky, it, it is, it is uh, estimated that uh, in his 60 years of ministry, that 75 million people came to the Lord. And you know what? That wasn't enough to pay the debt. So where am I at? If it's about paying, I'm in a world of hurt. But 75 million souls is not enough. Jesus died for the whole world. Praise God. The price that he paid could never be repaid, nor does he want it repaid because he's a father. Let's not insult him and say, how much do I owe you, Lord? Let's get rid of that mentality. I serve the Lord because he's done so much for me. I serve the Lord because I love him. I love him because he did so much for me. But I serve him because I love him. I can't help but love him. Praise God. Because we love him because he first loved us. It all started with him. Praise God that he loves us. If you're watching me today, if you're sitting in this room or if you're watching me online, the debt has been paid. God's not looking for a servant. He's looking for a son. And he wants to bless a son. And the debt has been fully paid. Nothing is owed. Praise God. You don't owe him anything. He just wants you to accept the gift he's offered. Praise God. You say, well, how do I do that? It's very simple. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So right now, I want to ask you to pray this prayer with me, whether you're in this room or whether you're watching online. Let's all pray this together right now. Say with me, say, God in heaven, I thank you that you loved me so much that you wanted me as a son. You knew I could never pay or qualify, so you did that for me. And you sent your son, Jesus, as a redeemer who bought me back out of slavery. I believe that you did that for me. And right now, I choose to put my trust in Jesus for my salvation. You raised him from the dead so I could have new life. And I trust Jesus that he has paid the debt in full. Jesus, I invite you into my life to be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Praise God. 
Thank you once again for joining us today online. We value you and we want to hear from you. If you made a decision for Christ today, you can select I Choose Jesus on our website. And we've got a couple videos for you to watch so that you can get started on your walk with God. We've also got a free ebook that you can download right from our website called I Choose Jesus. And I want to encourage you to do that. Once again, thank you for joining us. And remember that God is madly in love with you.